Hi, this is Pastor Tim, and I'm always encouraged to hear what God is doing in your life. Now, if you have a story or a testimony to share regarding a miracle, please let me know at story at citylifefw.org. That's story at citylifefw.org. Hey, I'm looking forward to hearing your personal story soon. Welcome to the City Life Podcast. We're all about making Jesus known. We pray these messages will help equip you to become a follower of Jesus, who is empowered to influence and shape culture. Enjoy the message. Well, go ahead and get your Bibles and your notes out. Open up your Bibles to the book of Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs 3 verse 5. We're going to hit that in just a few minutes. While you're getting your Bibles open, uh, hey, you guys know it is December, right? It's December, which means Christmas time is close. I love December in Texas because like December in Texas, it can be like like this weekend, 75, you know, you're out wearing shorts and having a good time. I, I actually just kind of like that. I know some of you wish it would snow all the time. No, you have not lived up north if you wish that, okay? And if you do live up north and you're missing it, well, sorry, but uh, it, you never know. It might snow. You'll, you'll probably get a little ice, but that's about it. But, but I love it because the festivities around Christmas has already begun. Uh, this year here at City Life, we're kind of looking at the wise men uh, as a backdrop, the wise men from the Christmas story. And my series is, that I'm doing this month is called Words to the Wise. Now, when I was a kid, I had this, this image of the wise men that wasn't quite accurate. You see, I went to church, and I, I, I loved listening to the Bible stories in church and in Sunday school, and, and I even had good books at home where I could read about it, and, and, and I, I loved the story of the wise men and learned a lot about them there, but I also loved music. I really enjoyed music, uh, Christmas music especially, and we would play these Christmas records. And I had, we had a bunch of them at home, and a record is kind of like a giant CD. And so, so we, uh, but, but one of the songs I used to listen to was this, is like, We Three Kings, you know, We Three Kings of Orientar. No, we're not going to sting it. Okay, but, but, but you guys know the song, right? Okay. I, that, that kind of changed things a little bit for me because I'm sure these songwriters had great revelation and they knew about all of this and, and, uh, but so it kind of messed me up a little bit. It's it's an old carol written around the mid 1800s around the civil war time, but, but the song, um, you know, it makes them out to be Kings and they weren't Kings. Uh, it's highly unlikely they were Oriental, uh, and nobody ever said there were three. So that whole first line of the song is just like all made up. It's just all made up. And there was another song that, I, that confused me even more. Um, there was this, I, I saw three ships and sailing and on Christmas Day, on Christmas Day. And then uh, do you guys, any of you remember that? Now that's a little more obscure, but we did this I saw three ships song. And then one of my teachers in, uh, in school said, we can't sing at Christmas. You have to sing it the way it was originally written. You have to call it Christmas Day. And so I always sang it that way. And I, but I, I pictured the three wise men. You know, it was like the three wise men coming on each of their own ships and, and they come in. And, and so, you know, but then I got older and I realized, well, they really couldn't come on ships because they were coming from the east. And plus that other song said that they were coming over field and fountain more and mountain following yonder star. And so I got confused. I, I was a confused child. So I, I, I pictured, okay, based on all that, I'm taking in the data. I'm crunching it in my childlike mind, caring about these wise men. And in my mind, they are three Vietnamese kings. 
riding on these ships following a star, arriving on Christmas morning to welcome the newborn king with their crowns and their big fur robes bearing expensive gifts. And then that's, I mean, the gifts. Yeah, that's about it. See, what the Bible calls them, though, are magi. These uh, would have been some wealthy state-sponsored magi. What they did is they studied ancient prophetic texts, and they looked for signs in the skies and signs on the earth, and uh, they would have been very well-educated. We also know the Bible says they were wise. Now, keep this in mind. Wisdom and education are always mutually exclusive. Education does not equal wisdom. Wisdom does not equal education. But these men actually had both. Uh, We do know they were from the east, which meant that they were probably from the land of Persia, which is the modern-day Iran. Um, We don't know, though, how many there were. Uh, We do know they brought three very expensive gifts, but the total number of magi, I mean, it could have been two, but it could have been up to 30. We don't know, all right? Uh, I I said they weren't Jews. They weren't coming to worship their new king. Uh, They weren't Christians because, you know, that was the arrival of Christ. And so Christians hadn't hadn't even started yet. But they were likely some priests of this ancient um, Persian religion. Uh, based out there in the Middle East. And, and I have a personal feeling about it from my own studies. I actually believe that the prophet Daniel was, was an earlier version of what we call the Magi because he was exiled in that part of the world and he would have even have texts and letters and, uh, and, these, and these, uh, these, many of these books of the Old Testament, which we call them, these prophets, uh, Isaiah and things like that with him that he would have left there. Uh, we do know this, though, is that the Magi, they saw this brilliant star and it was this amazing thing and so they began to study it and they recognized that this could very well be the announcement of the arrival of the Messiah which is the king of the Jews and so and again they definitely would have had to have access to the prophecies of Isaiah regarding that where he told that the, 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 there would be a star and then it would announce the arrival of the Messiah so in their wisdom what they did is they did their research they set out on this very long and very ambitious very ambitious journey to find the king uh, they arrived at the place where Jesus was and this could have been up to about two years after they first saw the star so we don't know exactly where they arrived or what anything, but we do know this much is it was a faith journey. Um, it was organized around a prophecy and it was about following this obscure star with the goal of meeting and worshiping this God King that was written about in ancient prophecies. These magi, they had a goal in mind and it was worship. They wanted to worship. So in their wisdom, these non-Jews think about it, they were willing, they're non-Jews, they're willing to set out on this journey of a lifetime to experience this newborn king. Now, it was either going to be the most spectacular event of their lives, or it would probably, or possibly be the most humiliating hunch they'd ever had. Think about it. These guys were actually very vulnerable. They were opening themselves up to mockery and ridicule, should they be wrong. So let's take a look at what is written about them in the book of Matthew, Matthew chapter number two, verse one. It says, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem in Judea, during the time of King Herod, Magi from the east came 
to Jerusalem and asked, where's the one who's been born king of the Jews? We saw his star when it rose and we've come to worship him. Think about the depth of that because this is a story of vulnerability. There's faith, there's trust, there's love. They're driven to worship. They want to express this extravagant love toward this king, but they did not have any solid evidence that this thing had even ever happened. They didn't. This was the kind of attitude that God wants us to have, which I'm going to be talking about today. I want you to be wise. I want you to be the wisest. I want you to be like the wise man. See, there is so much wisdom in dropping your guard, opening your heart, and becoming vulnerable. It's the only way that you can live with love. You can't really love God. You can't really love other people if you're not willing to be real and to be vulnerable. Solomon, the wisest man in history next to Jesus Christ, he wrote these words, and this is the scripture I had you turn to, Proverbs chapter three, verse five. He says, trust in the Lord. This is one of my favorite scriptures. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding and in all your ways submit to him and he will make your paths straight. So in other words, we trust in God by being vulnerable to him and we love him. And as our, we're vulnerable to the, to the talk of God, to the impressions of God, the direction of God, then we begin to find it easier to love others let other people love us and even let God love us. You know, for some of you, it's time to take off your bubble wrap. You need to start being vulnerable. See, he who does not fear to love is by far the wisest. See, wisdom's found in love and vulnerability. And Jesus is even the ultimate example of these traits. The wise men, they made themselves very, very vulnerable. They opened themselves up to mockery and ridicule, and they gambled so much on this little sliver of faith, and they showed up at the doorstep of Jesus' place and presented him with love in the form of worship and gifts. You know, really, there are, there are two types of people in this world. There are those who pursue wisdom, and then there's those who choose to be a fool. Solomon talks quite a bit about this in his writings. All through the scriptures we see it. You know, fundamentally, a fool can't even begin to receive love. Why? Because a fool says in his heart, there isn't even a God. They draw the line too early. But wisdom, what it is, is wisdom is vulnerability to God and others, and it's love. If, if you really want the breakthroughs that you feel God has for you, if you really want the breakthroughs, even with the people around you and the relationships around you, you're going to have to get rid of your bubble wrap. <laughs> you're going to have to start being vulnerable and love freely. Because vulnerability is strength. It is not weakness. It's not. See, vulnerability is having the courage to show up even when you do not know what the outcome is going to be and you can't control anything. Just like the wise men. 
Recently, a years-long study had been completed regarding vulnerability and how broad it is. And uh, over several years, people were asked this question, what situation made you feel very vulnerable recently? Here's what the respondent said. The first day after my divorce, talking with my teen about race, trying to get pregnant after my second miscarriage, starting my own business, voluntarily attending a small group, watching my child leave for college, apologizing to someone regarding how I spoke to him, sending my son to orchestra tryouts, knowing how badly he wants to make first chair, but knowing there's really a good chance he won't even make the orchestra at all. Waiting for that call back from the doctor. Getting feedback. Giving feedback. Getting fired. Firing someone. That's vulnerability. That's being vulnerable. But without vulnerability, we can't really love. You know, vulnerability, it makes us feel anxious and it makes us feel uncertain. I mean, think about how the Magi felt. But vulnerability also makes us want to self-protect and build a wall of armor around us. And we need to talk about that. Being vulnerable, though, it, it doesn't mean that you just grab hold of everybody's comments and, and somebody's hurtful comments and then you just ruminate on them by reading them and rereading them and, and reciting them in your mind. The truth is we all get hurtful comments. It happens to every one of us. Back in the days when people used to write letters, you remember those days, any of you guys remember the days when people used to write letters all the time? Yeah, we don't really do that too much anymore, but... Uh, <laughs> Back in the days when people used to write letters, I was senior pastor uh, of Missouri, and and it got to the point where I had to have I would have my assistant open and screen all the mail addressed to me that came to the church, and here are the boundaries: if somebody was, writes a critical or hateful, threatening or mean letter and didn't sign it, that letter should be immediately shredded and forgotten about. And I told my assistant, I don't want to see it. I don't even want to be aware that it ever came. That really helped me. <laughs> See, prior to that, what would happen is I wasn't just new to this thing of being a senior pastor. You know, when you're a staff pastor, you don't get all that stuff. But when you're a senior pastor, all of a sudden you start getting it and like, whoa, what's, what's all this? And, and, and I would get these grouchy letters and, and I would let them sit on my desk and I would read them and I would reread them and I would get angry and my wall would go up. I was like, who's writing this? What's their deal? And, and, and there's no way to respond. There's no way to respond. But I finally learned how to break free. Now, in today's world, you don't have to deal with that quite as much. Uh, I've got Jordan who goes through my mail and, and takes care of it. I don't know how much you have to shred. Probably not much at all. But, but, uh, but now, you know, it's fake email accounts and, and, and fake social media accounts. And some of them are even real. But, but the nice thing about today's world is you can just block and delete. I'm going to say, can you guys say that? Block and delete. Do you know it is fully Christian to block and delete? Some of you have said, I don't know if that's Christian or not. No, trust me, it is. It's okay. 
And then like, like with, with, with emails, you can do this thing called the double, I do the double delete because I caught myself. I would do deletes before and then I would go back and search for it again. You know, like I want to read the mean stuff again. Like, no, no. And so, so I learned how to do the double delete. You know, you delete it and then you go into your trash and you delete it again and then you shout for joy. Now, hey guys, but listen, there will always be unloving critics who are going to want to pull you down. Why do they want to pull you down? Because they really don't care about you deeply. And their words are not even worth remembering. If we're all so honest with ourselves, we've even debted ourselves. And you know what? Quit, quit rehearsing your tough guy comeback speech that's going to blow them away. I was doing that for people that I didn't even know whether they existed or not. I'm like, this is ridiculous because it only makes it worse for you. So whatever you do, don't pull that hatefulness closer to your heart. Let whatever is unproductive, this is good. Let whatever is unproductive and hurtful drop at the feet of Jesus. No matter how much self-doubt wants to take over your mind and your spirit, don't let it. Don't let it. Don't give in to those hate feelings. All they will do is continue to fortify the armor around you that you will continue to lay on brick after brick after brick as you're building this wall around your soul to protect yourself. It's your bubble wrap. And that, my friend, will destroy you. Here's how to do it. I've learned. I still have to do it. I have to remind myself, but you take a deep breath and cast your care on Jesus and you let him sustain you. I like it because David made it really clear. He said this. He said this in Psalm 55, verse 22. He said, cast your care on the Lord. Now think about it for a second. It doesn't say, gently hand your cares over to God. Uh-uh, it's kind of violent, you know? It's like, take it and throw it at God. The Bible says, throw that stuff at God. Did you know that? Some of you are just like, oh, I'm aghast. Yeah, stop being aghast. All right, this is what the scriptures say right here. Cast your care on the Lord and he will sustain you. And you know what? He will never, ever, ever, ever let the righteous be shaken. Meanness and cruelty from others must never control you. Yet, we absolutely must continue to remain vulnerable to God and vulnerable to other people. There's a balance. Vulnerability is basically, it's uncertainty, it's risk, and it's emotional exposure. Every morning when you wake up, a new day has arrived where you get to be vulnerable because you're going to face uncertainty, risk, and emotional exposure. It's waiting you. It's part of life. And, and here's the deal. When you choose to get out of your bubble wrap and love other people, the uncertainty and the risk and the emotional exposure, it will spike. So what are you going to do? Well, you can either own it or let it own you. You can either choose to embrace the uncertainty and the risk and the emotional exposure, or you can let it drive you to continually reinforce that armor and your bubble wrap all day long, making you in a worse condition. And, and, and if, you have, if you allow those negative feelings to drive you, the, the truth is you're just really controlled by fear and you can't have faith. And then when that happens, we begin to act out, control. You have the simmering anger 
you lash out, you shoot arrows, or possibly you just simply shut down. See, vulnerability can really challenge us. But it's a necessity. Back in November of 1999, I was in Missouri uh, candidating to lead uh, pastor of a, a lead pastor position of a large church. And, and it was my official visit to the campus where uh, I would you know, talk to people and do a lot of talking to people. <laughs> and we'd already completed several months of, uh, of, of the process at this point. And, and we, this was the culmination. It was in November. And, and we were coming together to end this, this all with six days, six very lengthy days, you remember, of Q&A. <laughs> Preston was five. Devin was two. Two. Little Devin, he would run around like this all the time. Devin, 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 run around, run around, run around. We call him little man. He was just everywhere. And we're trying to say, call him, uh, yes, we're a nice family. Ian was a baby. Six days of this. And we were all crammed into this little, all five of us are crammed into you know, the little hotel room they gave us. And that was fine. But after a while, it's like, okay, I, I want some space. Where do I go? Six days of long meetings with the elders, dinners and lunches with departments and sub-departments and departments of sub-departments and committees and groups. And I'll tell you what, this guy felt vulnerable. I felt very vulnerable because this wasn't like an ordinary interview for a job. And and those of you who go through a job interview and it's 15 minutes, you are lucky. You are lucky. (laughs) Try six days of it with your whole family. And so... And then, and then we, I, in these settings, people would fire. I can't even remember. I mean, there were just so many questions I had to answer. But one of them is <laughs> kind of funny. It's like, you know, this group of people with the elders said, well, um, sir, I, I, I need for you to know before I would make up my mind whether I really want you to be my pastor or not is the creation. Was it six literal 24-hour periods or was it six, you know, like time, periods of time? I need to know what you believe. Like, you, you, what? You, you got, you, you, I'm going to be your pastor or not based upon what? <laughs> like, well, I'll just tell you what I think. Hey, here's another one. Uh, this, I was with this group of people at this luncheon, and this sweet little old lady says, Sir, can you tell me, Pastor, what's your favorite hymn? And so I was like, Well, I answered it for her. Say, thank you. She sat down and people kind of clapped and then someone else stood up and said, okay, if it's really your favorite hymn, sing it for us and prove it. <laughs> I sang it. I, I, I sang it. I, I didn't really even feel the joy of the Lord as I was doing it. You know? <laughs> it's so funny. Um, Another, another person, this is in a large setting, said, you know, pastor, this is a leader in the church. They said, I don't believe we should say the word Holy Spirit in church because it will scare people away. Don't you agree with that? Like, well, I'm curious, then we're going to have to edit the Bible. I, I don't know. You know. <laughs> Finally, on the night after this is the sixth night, the final night of the big vote, you know, hundreds of people in the auditorium and there's more Q&A. It's like, stop, you know, at some point. And, and, and then people would just stand up and start making comments. And, and I'll never forget, there's this one person who stands up and says, well, Tim, I, you know, I, after all of these meetings and everything, I, I want to like you. I want to, I really do. But I just can't vote yes. You will not be my pastor. 
It's like, okay, God bless you too. And there were a whole lot of other things that I just can't say. But you know, the truth is, I'm thinking, like, these are Christians? Is this a Christian church I'm taking here? I, I, don't, I don't know, you know. But some people can be very cruel and ugly and demeaning. And the truth is, we've even done the same. And, but none of those people even really knew me. None of them. I mean, none of them. For a long time, it was hard for me to wipe from my memory their faces and their sharp words. But that's when I learned that I had to lay it at the feet of Jesus again and again and again and again. Hey, cruelty is cheap, isn't it? It is. Okay. But on the other hand, it's also wimpy to give in to it. And I've given in to it before, and you have too. And when we give in to it, we begin to fire back. Now, what happens there is you begin to weaken yourself. You know, it, it feels good for a second, but... In the end, it's even worse. You know, it's kind of like if you've ever had surgery or dealt with some intense pain, you get some like narcotic pain medicine and, and, and you take that stuff like, oh, yeah, I'm feeling really good right now. I'm feeling really, really good. Woo-hoo, woo-hoo. Then you get a few hours later, it's like, I am sick. And that is, that is, you deal with the other, you feel more sick in the end. And that's kind of how it works. So step over those mean comments and start moving forward. And if you don't, You're going to find yourself using your memories to fortify your armor and your bubble wrap so you don't ever get hurt like that again. And that's wrong. Know this, know this, know this, is that your self-made armor is too heavy for you and it will incapacitate you. The less armor you have, the more nimble you're going to be and you're also going to be a whole lot more huggable. When David went out to face Goliath, the king put a bunch of really heavy armor on him, and David couldn't function like that. So he made himself vulnerable. He rejected the armor and got out in front of Goliath. And think about what Goliath was doing. He was spouting hateful, rude comments. He was mocking him. And you know what? Sometimes it's people. Other times it's just the thoughts in your head that are coming straight from hell. Those thoughts that are mocking you, putting you down... Or people basically telling you, like Goliath, you know, you're nothing. You're a loser. I am above you, and I am going to take you down. But David wasn't burdened down by a bunch of armor. He was nimble, and he fought, and he allowed Goliath's uh, rudeness just to bounce right off of him. Now, you really can never shield yourself I don't think you should even try to shield yourself from all feedback. You really shouldn't. Because if you do that, you're going to stop growing. But you can't keep putting more and more bubble wrap on. You can't keep putting more and more armor on every time someone beats you down. And if you give in to other, listen, if you give in to other people's criticism of you, especially from people who are not in the trenches with you, you are putting on more armor. And then what's going to happen is you're going to, fake it and act like it doesn't hurt or worse yet you're just going to disconnect from vulnerability altogether because you're going to feel so emotionally uh, uh, hurt that, that the emotions just go away and you, you even stop feeling hurt and when you get to that place your armor is so thick that you've officially sealed off your heart from everyone and everything you've not just sealed off your heart from pain and hurt, but you've also sealed yourself off from love because nobody can now love you. 
And you can't love anyone and you can't even love yourself. You can't love friends. You can't love family, people you go to church with or work with, or even God himself. A lot of people are angry with God. And they're angry with God because they just kept building this wall of hurt. Wise people are vulnerable. Wise people give. Wise people receive. I like the way C.S. Lewis wrote it, this incredible Christian author. He said, to love at all is to be vulnerable. Love anything and your heart will be wrung and possibly broken. If you want to make sure of keeping your heart intact, you must give it to no one, not even to an animal. Wrap it carefully round with hobbies and little luxuries. Avoid all entanglements. Lock it up safe in the casket or coffin of your selfishness. But in that casket, safe, dark, motionless, airless, your heart will change. It will not be broken, but it will become unbreakable, impenetrable, irredeemable. To love is to be vulnerable. It's a very powerful quote. I want to love. I, I, I choose to be vulnerable. Vulnerable toward God and vulnerable toward others. I mean, God himself became vulnerable to show us love and to demonstrate how love works because he wants us to live forever with him. I mean, seriously, think about it. Think about how Jesus came into this earth, how vulnerable. Jesus, that little baby, was born in a filthy, nasty, bacteria-laden stable. The stench of feces was in the air. And don't think it wasn't. Don't gloss over that beautiful image. Oh, so pretty. It stunk in there. And his first crib was an animal feeding trough. That, my friend, is God's vulnerability. God is serious about his love for us. Jesus said this. He said, I, for God so loved the world that he gave his son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Uh, the spirit of Christmas is wrapped up in giving. And I, I love how that scripture says, for God so loved that he gave. Because giving is vulnerability. As you give this Christmas, as you give this month, giving exposes you to rejection, it does. Exposes you to the chance of being taken advantage of or loss, possibly just feeling unappreciated. But giving is a part of love. Love to God, love to others. With God, we, we give God our time. We give our time to God and to his work. With our finances, we give it to God's work. We give our worship and our praise to God freely. And these are all love-based, and it puts us in the position of vulnerability just like the wise man. See, love will always put you in the position of vulnerability. But that's where I want to be. Now, as a pastor, I, uh, I know I'm imperfect. But... I choose to be vulnerable and real with my congregation because I love you. I don't want you to be the same. As a dad, 
I may not be the best in the world, but I sure do try. I try hard. <laughs> but still, I choose to be vulnerable with my sons. Why? It's because I love them. I love them. As a husband, I know I don't measure up perfectly all the time, even though my wife will say I do. <laughs> She's just lying. She's just lying. <laughs> but I still choose to be vulnerable with my beautiful wife, Rebecca, because I love her. But too many people run from vulnerable relationships because they've been hurt. They run from God. They run from others. But today, that needs to be broken. It needs to be broken in Jesus' name. And that armor around you needs to be smashed, demolished, and pulverized. But only you can do it. I can't do it for you. It's about time you stop your prayers from being hindered because of that. If you really want to love again, if you really want to receive love like never before, if it's your desire that God's love sweep over your soul and you really want to worship God with passion and with depth, if you're really, really, really wanting that breakthrough, then vulnerability is the key. It's time to demolish that wall around you. Are you ready to drop your guard? (laughs) Are you willing to demolish that big fortified wall? I tell you guys, let's make December 2018 the time when you started fresh with your love. Let's bow our heads in this room. We just bow your heads. I don't want any movement at this time, and I'm just going to ask that you'll close your eyes and focus internally. And you might be here today, and and you might be far from God. You you might be in a situation where you've never opened yourself up to God because you didn't want to be vulnerable, but today's the time to, to knock that wall down and do it. Maybe, maybe, maybe some of you, you were serving God at one point and the wall's gone up. You felt like God let you down, a preacher let you down, a, a person at church let you down. So you start building the wall up and you've moved away from God. You've drifted from your relationship with him. And if you want to know the Jesus that I talk about here at this church, if you want a new beginning, if you want to know the Jesus of God's word, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond by very simply lifting your hand. Jesus loves you more than you can imagine. He died for you so that you can have life and life to the full. And today it is time for you to live, really, really, really live. So if you want to be included in my closing prayer and give your life completely to Jesus, will you lift your hand at the count of three? One, two, three. Lift your hand so I can see it. Thank you. Who else? Lift your hand so I can see it. Thank you. You can put your hand down. You can put your hand down. Thank you. Thank you, guys. I'm connecting my faith with you since you lifted your hand. Now, here's what I'm going to ask you to do. I'm going to ask everyone in this room to stand with me. If you lifted your hand, I want you to boldly stand up. And I want you, along with this entire group of believers, to pray these words with me, please. Come on, pray these words with me. Church, dear Jesus, thank you for dying for my sin. I believe you're the Son of God. Please forgive my sins. Today I give up my past, and I embrace the future that you have for me. Thank you for new life. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, I hope you enjoyed today's message. You know, City Life Church, we are all about developing followers of Jesus who influence and shape culture. And it's possible that you 
are even feeling a, a shift that is coming in your life or possibly deep down inside you feel called to something more and City Life might be a part of that future. Let me tell you, Launch Sunday is the big event that's coming up and it's happening on February 10th, 2019. And if you'd really like to be a part of what God is doing in downtown Fort Worth through City Life Church, I'm asking you to go and visit our website at citylifefw.org and click the launch button. Uh, you could also just come and visit one of our services because I, I really believe the future is bright and it's limitless in potential. I want you to hear my vision. I want you to be a part of what God is doing at City Life and come and chat with me personally after one of the services.